This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Andrew Leong, a scholar of Japanese, American, and Japanese-American literature. We usually don't pay much attention to pauses in language. It's easy to assume they're just meaningless gaps between the meaningful words. But pauses are everywhere in spoken language, and, as Andrew Leong has been studying, in written language too. Pauses are not just an absence of meaning, but can drastically shift the meaning of the words around them. From an American short story, to a Japanese coming-of-age novel, to a Japanese-American play, Andrew argues that pauses are a device for hinting at things left unsaid. Andrew Leong, welcome. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So we are going to talk about pauses in Japanese and English. So um, I guess a starting point might be what resources do Japanese writers have for representing pauses in writing? So one of the curious things about Japanese writing in the 1880s is the introduction of punctuation marks that we take for granted when reading um, Western literature. So dot, 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 periods, question marks, commas. Uh, Japanese writers were attempting to translate and then bring in effects from their studies of Western languages um, started to bring in those kinds of punctuation markings as modes of representing pauses. So those didn't exist before about the 1880s in Japanese? Yes, yeah. yeah. And I guess I'd never really thought about commas and periods and and dot 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 as, as a kind of all in a way being about pauses. So maybe what's the difference between those punctuation marks in terms of the pauses that they produce? Yeah, a dot 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 and a comma can have very different effects based upon um, how an author chooses to use them. Mm. So um, one thing to maybe pay attention to is that it's um, a way for uh, writers to represent pauses of thought even when thinkers are just kind of running a thought in their own head. Mm. Do you have a particular example of that where we can sort of see that kind of like thinking in action? Sure. Um, there's a good example from uh, Bartleby the Scrivener by Herman Melville. So this is an American. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The uh, narrator stutters in his thinking, and this is represented by long dashes. So for instance, we can think about this here on this phrase, I re-entered with my hand in my pocket and and my heart in my mouth so that the heart in the mouth and the stuttering effect of having that kind of heartbeat in the mouth mm. is represented in this text by in my pocket long dash and long dash and my heart in my mouth i, I want to like think that through for myself so sure. it's like um there's a sort of and dash and dash oh no sorry yeah uh, so there's a kind of repetition of words, right, which is a feature of stuttering, but mm -hmm. also these kind of punctuation marks that are kind of creating pauses between those words. Yeah, and yeah. Um, setting up this very odd phrase, my heart in my mouth, Yeah, um, where the beat of the and, and my heart in my mouth. Um, yeah, does that then sort follows. of also emphasize it because it's, we see the character kind of thinking their way towards that phrase. Like yes. it takes them a while to kind of hit on it. Yeah. Um, and to figure out maybe what they want to say and what they can't really say. 
Okay, because yeah, having your heart in your mouth is quite cryptic, really. So maybe also there's this, those dashes have a suggestion of like withholding something, like the character was going to say something else, but then kind of found a more yeah cryptic or euphemistic way to say it. Oh sure, yeah. Already, I can see like yeah d- dashes or the pauses that they kind of represent hint at different things that we might not be fully able to pin down definitively um does that function in the same way in japanese texts like japanese writers using those same punctuation marks yeah so unfortunately i couldn't find the original japanese text of 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 this but it's a a beautiful translation i think prepared by uh, the scholar michiko suzuki of a short schoolgirl romance narrative kibara or yellow rose written by an author named yoshia nobuko uh, in the early 20th century. And it's from uh, a scene in which um, Miss Katsuragi is telling a student named Reiko about her admiration for the Greek poet Sappho. Um, and here, the, there are all sorts of pauses that represent an intimate moment between Miss Katsuragi and her student. Um, so Miss Katsuragi is speaking first. Reiko. Sappho was a person who gave her passionate devotion to a beautiful friend of the same sex and was betrayed. She loved her maid, Melita, deeply, but she was betrayed by this girl, Melita, too. She took her sad heart, broken from fruitless offerings of passionate devotion, threw herself into the blue ocean from the Lucadian rock, and disappeared amidst the waves. Sappho, the tragic female poet, I, I love her. Miss Katsuragi, speaking thus, had tears shining in her eyes, full of dark passion. Miss Katsuragi! Reiko's faint voice shook, barely managing to speak these words with her quaking red lips like petals. At that moment, a bell rang out, reverberating for a long while. Enfolded by the sound, the two shadows became one. So at the end there were the ellipses, dot, dot, dots, sort of separating out those final Yeah, phrases. there are dots and long dashes <laughs> all the way through. All the way through. Yeah. Um, and so after and was betrayed, dot, 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 mm. um, Sappho, the tragic female poet, is set out by long dashes. The eyes full of dark passion has a double ellipsis, dot, 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 dot. Wait, that's a lot of dots. Yes. So, so, so um, more than three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so often there would be six dot ellipses. So uh, dot, 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 dot. Wow. Um, okay. Text. So in, are you saying in Japanese, actually, there's um, a kind of convention to have six as another option? Yeah, um, that's quite conventional. Yeah. And so that there's maybe a sense of um, things unsaid or things that they're sort of holding back from saying, but also as it kind of makes those words that do appear kind of highlights them as kind of maybe euphemisms again or like you know oh yeah it's an era of um around this time ways of negotiating the representation of of same-sex desire and intimacy in japanese literature so uh, one of the things that uh, yoshio nobuko was able to capitalize on is how um schoolgirl romance as could present this as being pure non-bodily love and um, all of these dots innocence. kind of allow that to be a plausible argument because it's sort of leaving out the sort of like body you know the embodied desire or the sexuality 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of plays it both ways. The speech pauses and the dot, dot, dots make you very aware that there's a speaker in a body that's like performing these things. But um, you can also take a look at the two shadows became one. I mean, well, that seems very romantic, yeah. right? Like, yeah, two become one. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, there's a Spice Girls song of that title, but. But it's the shadows, right? So it's, okay, it's like okay. they, the they disembodied. Might... That's right. And you can imagine that the two bodies become one and that's where their shadows become one or it could be very chaste yeah so would you like some tea sure yeah Great. Um, yeah are there any other things that kind of surprising that pauses can achieve so i think one other effect that they achieve when people talk about awkward pauses or silences what's going on there isn't that there's just a silence. It's that there's something about the timing of the length of the pause or the silence that indicates, like, it's your turn to speak. Why aren't you speaking? I have a really good example of how this works within a play text, a Japanese-American play written by uh, an author named Nagahara Hideaki and published in 1928, which provides a kind of dialogue example. So the characters are here, like the eldest son, of um, a Japanese-American farm family in the Californian Central Valley, who's speaking first. His name is Shunichi Otsu, and his friend is Kenkichi, a mysterious wanderer that comes into the Central Valley farming village. And they're having a kind of conversation about whether or not the wanderer figure Kenkichi will stay. So I'll read it in Japanese first and then try to render it in, in English. So Kenkichi is the first speaker. Otsu-kun. Okay, so the English is something like Otsu, I, what? The truth is, I don't want to leave here. You don't want to leave? Uh-huh. Really? Mm-hmm. Then, and this is like a really long one. There are like 12 dots here. Wow. Then dot, 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 Okay. Then dot, 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 dot. You'll always be here for me. You'll be my, and this is a hard one to translate. I haven't figured this one out. The Japanese is, Hanashi aite or conversation partner, but you'll be my conversation partner forever. So there's clearly, I mean, for being an eternal conversation partner forever, a lot of awkward ahaying and ming around what's going on there. Right. I mean, is there almost a sense of kind of like that like eternity that is stretching out just between these these brief words? Like there's already a sense of kind of endlessness. Yeah, um, this dewa, dewa is like searching for like that space or that extension of time. And I think we could imagine that the character Shunichi kind of knows and suspects that it isn't really the case that Kenkichi is going to stay forever, um, that he will wander off in, into the distance at some point. But he's willing to like stretch out that time and imagine that there will be some kind of future for the two of them. Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess as long as you're there face to face with your conversation partner, 
you can try and like extend a pause as long as possible and the person can't really leave um <laughs> except maybe at a certain point they just would yeah um yeah that's so funny um so yeah has anyone ever said something to you where the meaning was really all contained in the pause oh huh I really can't think of an example that immediately comes to mind. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that there are ways that, for comedic effect, jokes often require a, an odd pause or, um, you know, you make like an eye contact moment or raise an eyebrow on yeah. a word. Yeah. There's one example that has really stuck with me, which is from an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, where one of the drag queens turns to another and says, you look good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, you know, the pause means it makes it mean the opposite of what it seems to mean, right? Like, it's the most insulting thing to say. Like, to say you look good is nice. To say you look good mm -hmm. is, you know, um, really undermining what you seem to be saying. Yeah, and it's also kind of like a, you know, you pull somebody into the expectation of something horrible being delivered right so like you know you could imagine a, a more complicated read than you look good um <laughs> going on there but it's almost like letting the murder happen off screen or something like that it's so much worse yeah, yeah i love that um one final question is there any public figure whose pauses you think are especially interesting That's a long pause. I'm sorry. I can't <laughs> really. Great. We'll leave it in. Yeah. Oh. This is partly because we're doing a, a podcast, but Terry Gross, mm -hmm. who's a interviewer for NPR, also is really good at managing or is edited to sound like she's really good at managing the interview pause. Um, there's an old Saturday Night Live sketch that makes fun of the NPR voice mode where there's a lot of long pauses as if to digest like it's sort of so profound that you need some time to really like digest it yeah so you're enjoy you're having enough time to slowly enjoy the sentence that's just been provided before i love that will you send us a link for that so we can put it on the website oh sure yeah great i think it's the it's the sweaty balls sketch um yeah great well andrew leung thank you very much my pleasure thank you so much That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip in which Andrew discusses a Japanese novel where the pauses don't slow down, but actually speed up the action. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at howtoreadnow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen. And by me, Olivia Branscombe, with editorial assistance from Sam Wilcox and Colby King. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening. <laughs>